0: You are listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. For more information about the Pursuit of Manliness or find out about the herd, make sure you visit thepursuitofmanliness.com. All right, men. Once again, we are out in the garage. We do this every Friday. We walk through a portion of scripture, we're looking at application, we're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with a text like that? Uh, diving into you know a little bit of context, a little bit of culture of what's going on within the chapter or the area of focus. And then again, what do we do with that? What's our takeaway? Uh, if you're new to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, I want to say welcome. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, the Pursuit of Manliness has three podcast episodes per week, or just about every week. On Mondays, it's typically an interview with someone who's done something, whether they're writing a book, have a ministry, just find them interesting, whatever. Uh, that's on Monday. On Wednesday, the focus is 1 Thessalonians 4:11 to 12, aspire to live a quiet life mind your own affairs, work with your hands, be dependent upon nobody. So that's the primary focus of the Wednesday podcast. And then on Friday, it's called out in the garage because literally in this spot right here, this is where all this type of content got started. The actual pursuit of maleness got started in another time zone away, but uh, as far as content, creating things like this right here. And oftentimes, um, I'm, I'm a married, got three kids. Oftentimes they are looking for dad, like where's dad at? He's out in the garage. So I thought that was fitting as we go through scripture uh, to call this out in the garage and we do it every Friday. So make sure you hit subscribe if you would. I always appreciate when you guys share the show or leave comments. Just kind of gives me some insight into you know what resonates with you. We are in Exodus chapter 1. We wrapped up uh, Genesis. We were in that for quite a while and uh, now we're in Exodus 1 which is about 400 uh, plus years or so uh, give or take after Joseph, after his family have died, um, and it starts off with, these are the names of the sons of Israel, and goes through um, the list, the list of that family. Remember, Joseph sold into slavery through the process of God's timing, a God who declares the end from the beginning. Joseph rose to number two in Egypt, eventually saving his family's life from the famine so they don't die. And also, you know, st- saving a nation. This, this family grows into a, a great nation. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. I mean, that's what God said back in Genesis 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That's what He told Noah when he gets off the boat be fruitful and multiply. That's what he told uh, Abraham, or Abram at the time. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. You will become the father of a great nation. And what was the tension with Abram? I don't have any kids. God says, what I can just do with one. What I can do with one, and what God did with Isaac, and what's happening here. And what we're going to see is, again, the faithfulness of one. We've said a number, what, a couple months ago, someone has to go first. Someone needs to go first, but maybe your the one maybe you're the one that begins to turn the tide you know in your home maybe you're the one that begins to turn the tide you know in your church or in your neighborhood somebody's got to be that person and i know it's always better to go with many or at least with another one but sometimes sometimes you just got to be the one that goes first and so what we see through this is a new pharaoh. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He says, "I got no deal with Joseph. I have no deal with the Israelites." And he said to the people, "Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us." You see, the Egyptians—they uh, believed they were superior. They weren't going to intermingle with the Israelites or anything. Like that. I mean, this is the perfect place for a nation to grow. The Israelites are only marrying with Israelites, birthing Israelite children, and they have become this mighty nation. exactly what God said would happen. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if the war breaks out, they might join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Not only did Egyptians believe they were superior to other people, they had this unbelievable fear that they were going to be attacked. And I said, what if the people from the inside actually end up turning on us and then we have to fight essentially two battles, okay? I said, we're not, we're not going to do that. Therefore, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh stone cities, Pithom and Ramses. Let me just pause right there. That's verse 10, 11 of chapter 1. You know what we call what's happening right here in chapter 10, or verse 10 and verse 11? We call that persecution. That's, that is persecution. I'm looking at you. I don't like you, I'm fearful of you, I'm nervous about you, I'm uncertain about you. That is persecution. I'm going to make their life miserable. Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread They spread abroad. So the more they're oppressed, the more babies they're having. I don't know what kind of hobbies, I don't know if they had sporting events, I don't know if they had the World Cup, I don't know what they got going on, but here's what I know. Mommy and daddy are having mommy daddy time. Like we're they're making more babies. The more they're oppressed, the more God bless them, bless them, bless them. It's amazing what God does through times of persecution, through times of oppression. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They said, Are you kidding me? The harder we make their lives, they keep going home and making babies. God is clearly blessing them. When when you're a when you're a people who believe in all kinds of gods and all kinds of divinity and all this different types of weird, dark stuff, and you see these women continually give birth to children, you think their God is blessing them. We need to do something about that. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Persecution and oppression. This is real persecution and oppression and this this is happening across our globe this is happening in various countries people are taking a stand for the gospel people are saying i believe in the god of the bible i believe jesus is the christ the son of the living god i believe he is alive i believe he resurrected and i believe we will live with him forever and they say we are going to make your life a living hell while you are here on earth that's persecution that's oppression not that somebody unfriended you. Not that the HR meeting went south. Not that you know you have to. You know your job is now trying to make you wear something or do something or say something. No, I, I get it. I absolutely get that. That that is difficult and that's a challenge. And then we got to figure out how do we navigate that? Do we speak up? Do we stay silent? Do we leave quietly? Do we blow the thing? Like what do we do? Like what's our response to this? But I want you to know when you look at verse ten to verse thirteen of chapter one. That is persecution, and that is oppression, and that is a miserable way to exist. But their focus is on God. And the more their focus is on God, God just continually blesses them. says, verse 14, And made their lives bitter and hard service with mortar and brick. They're building things. They're the construction company. And all kinds of work in the field, and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is terrible. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the women that helped them give birth, He said, one of whom was named Shif, Shifara, Shif, Shifra, should have probably looked that up in the right light, and the other Pua. And when the, you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. Why on earth would you want to kill the boys and not the girls? Less threatening. Less th- let's get rid of the guys. Let's get rid of the boys. Let's get rid of all the males. If you see it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a daughter, yeah, you. Can, she can live. No big deal. We'll have her be a slave. I'm not afraid of her. Not, not concerned with her. But if it's a boy, you need to kill him. The midwives feared God and did not do the thing that the king had commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Is this true? Probably not. But maybe. Maybe God is... Speeding up the birthing process. I don't know. So God dealt with the midwives. dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. They just keep multiplying. We can't stop this. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So Pharaoh commanded the people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, You shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Persecution and oppression. What happens in the midst of this persecution and oppression? Two ladies say, no, we're not doing that. Now, we are, and Paul writes this into the Romans, we are to respect governing authorities. We are to do that. And I think as Christians, we don't do that very well. I think we've found it very easy to disrespect anybody in authority, especially if they don't align with our political viewpoints. I I think we've given ourselves permission to about say and do whatever we want towards them because it's not in line with our our viewpoint. And I don't think that's winning anyone to Jesus. I'm not sure those who do that are concerned about winning people to Jesus. I'm just saying, I don't think it's winning anyone to Jesus by disrespecting them. I don't have to go along with it. I don't have to endorse it. I don't have to change my profile picture or fly the fly. I don't have to do those things. But I can't, I can't dog them or run them down when I know that I'm supposed to at least show them respect and honor. And I'm supposed to pray for them. Probably not doing that real well either. But here's what I know. If a governing authority tries to force on you to do something that is in direct contradiction of what God wants you to do, absolutely. Absolutely, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's what Daniel did. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. So we're not going to bend our knee. That's what uh, Peter said. So John said, he says, you decide whether it's right for us to stop telling. But hey, all we know is we're telling people about Jesus, so they beat the tar out of him and let him go. It wouldn't be the last time they're going to um, that they're going to harass them and eventually persecute them and have to, to kill them a martyr's death. It won't be obviously that's not the end. But choose for yourself whether it's right for us to honor God or not. So I think the, the focus needs to be more refined on the honoring of God than the pushback of those in authority. These women said, hey, I'm Pharaoh. He was killed in an instant. But we are going to honor God. They feared God. I imagine they feared Pharaoh too, right? But they feared God and didn't do as the king commanded them. So God dealt well with them. If we believe God is the supreme, ultimate, divine authority over every square inch of the cosmos, then our fear for him should be far greater than our disdain for anyone in any form of leadership. God, help me fear you more, love you more, respect you more, pursue you more than my disdain towards those who are in leadership. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. I don't know what life is like for a midwife. I didn't do a lot of studying for Egyptian midwives and uh, annual salary or where they would live or their position in Egypt. I I, I didn't, but I know this. Because of that, God gave them families. And here's my point. When I said someone goes first, you might need to be the person that goes first. You might need to be the person that throws the yoke off and says, I'm not living like that no more. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be... You know, an Eeyore. I'm not going to be a downer. I'm not going to be the guy caught up in addiction. I'm not going to be the person that just accepts his fate or just accepts that this must be my lot in life. I'm not going to be that. Somebody, and it was a couple midwives, said we will fear God and we will honor him no matter what it cost us because allowing these children to live is far more important than maintaining our position or even our life. So that's the challenge for you and I. Are we going to be the person that takes a stand and says, I'm not backing down. I've said before, I don't need to be the guy on the corner with a megaphone and sandwich board. I don't need to be the guy who's calling in the local news station to tell them we are not going to. I don't need to be the guy that that clamors for attention or has to be always in front of the camera or microphone. No, I don't have to be that guy. I do want to be the guy who is steadfast, immovable, not subject to change. It doesn't matter the weather. It doesn't matter the temperature. It doesn't matter what storm is blowing through. This is what I'm doing. This is where my focus is. This is what is most important to me. And I think if I do that and you do that, perhaps there may be a few more join us in that fight. If you're concerned about the next generation, obviously these midwives were concerned with the next generation, then maybe we need to be the ones that stand up and say, I will fear God more than I'll be concerned about the opinions of other people. My love for God, my fear of Him, my healthy, holy fear of Him, my reverence, my pursuit of godliness, the the righteousness that I'm seeking each day, that's going to be more important to me than getting an attaboy from someone who can't save my soul. That's, That's where my focus would be. And again, you might be the only one wherever you're at, and maybe I'm the only one wherever I'm at, or at times it definitely feels like you're the only one, but I promise you we're not. Just like God told Elijah, I've saved 7,000. I got to believe God saved a whole lot more than that. Now, the narrow road's pretty narrow, and at times it feels very lonely, but I know this we're not the only ones. That's what we're trying to do here. That's why we say we build better men together. So, you know, and I know we're not in this alone. So as we fight for the hearts of our, our marriages and our children and our, our kids' future uh, husbands or future wives or future in-laws or future brother and sister-in-laws, we pray for them. We we seek the Lord's direction in that because we say, if no one else is going to do it, I for sure will be one. You can for sure count on me. I will be steadfast. I will be movable. I will not be subject to change. Amen. And take a look at that. Read Exodus chapter 1 today. Mark it up in your Bible. Share it with someone else. I appreciate you all. I'll talk to you in a bit. Once again, thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. If you would, make sure you visit iTunes and leave a five-star review. Again, for more information or find out more information about the herd, visit thepursuitofmanliness.com.